this week? <sighs> I'm fine. It's a sigh? I thought everything got better after last week. No. <laughs> Things got worse. We just didn't get to talk about it privately. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, we'll talk we'll talk off mic. Um How are you though? Cuz you had a big birthday last week. I did have a big birthday. The 20 20 Yeah. <laughs> I'm 28. I'm not ashamed. It's fine. It's whatever. Oh no, I couldn't remember, so that's why oh. I said- <laughs> I thought you were doing the lady thing. It's like a lady never tells her age. And I was like, what, yeah, a lady doesn't age? Yeah, a lady doesn't tell her age because she can't fucking remember what it is. That's nah, why. 20, it's fine. <laughs> it's really fun to quiz my dad to find out how old I am. Because, oh, I've been 23 for years. Yeah, I've been like 12 for years. But I have. <laughs> we have our, our names and, and uh, birth dates like tattooed on his arm. So every single time I'm like, dad, how old am I? Don't look at your arm. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I talked about that, that we used that as, uh, my ID for a bar once. Um, brilliant, but I can't believe they let it be a thing. I fun. still can't. I love it. It's great. Uh, but yeah, my birthday was all right. Uh, as, be- as best as it can be during quarantine. I mean, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And now I'm back here with you. The best birthday gift. <gasps> You're my present this year. Ah. Oh, wait, I wanted to mention one thing that we didn't mention for, like, the past couple of weeks that I totally forgot about. So, Uh-oh. Caitlin and I got a very amazing email, very short, very amazing email from... Oh, I uh, didn't know we were talking about this. That's why. I- I'm not going to say who it was, but it's from um, a family member of a victim we talked about on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we got this email, and I immediately, like, my eyes started welling up, because whether it I'm was going to be... Whether it was chills. a good email, yeah, whether it was a good yeah. email or a bad email, I was like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. So this person liked the episode that we did and liked the service we did to the person who we were talking about. So it made my heart happy. It was incredible. And it just reaffirmed everything that we wanted to do with this podcast, which is basically mm-hmm. uh, bringing awareness to the victims of some of these crimes, not really glorifying the uh, monsters that we're talking about, but talking about um, uh, these victims and their incredible stories. And um, we hope that if there's any other um, family members or survivors that we have talked about on the podcast, that um, they feel the same. And hopefully um, we're doing everybody some justice. Yeah. And it also, I will say, is... A, one of the main things that got us through Spooktober, I think, because it did yeah. happen dead in the middle of Spooktober, and we were like, this is what we needed. Yes. But also, I do want to also mention just how funny I think it is, at least, that you messaged me and were like, did you check our email? And I was like, God damn it. What did somebody say now? Because I was so ready for the hate mail. Yeah. I, I was so ready. And it, it just, oh, it was so much better than that. Like, and it could have been hate mail and I still would have been happy. If you but, don't, oh, if you don't host a podcast, damn. you don't know the, uh, the toss up every single time you get an email. But yep. um, if you like us, email us because we need the, we need the approval. We're we need desperate the for attention. Yes. <laughs> We're like Tinkerbell. We die without applause. Well, to get those loving emails, we have to provide the people with uh, some quality content. 
So. All right. Well, then let's kick off the podcast that Marty calls five out of ten not terrible to listen to or whatever the fuck that was. I don't know. If you don't like the podcast, <laughs> just don't listen. It's fine. Your... And sometimes fine. you cough I just during an episode so when funny. you're sick. Whatever. I don't care. Haley, that was like a hundred <laughs> episodes ago, though. So it's yeah. okay. It happens. Whatever. What it are we talking about today? Okay. So today we are talking about John Meehan. Who? Meehan? Meehan? I went to school with somebody whose last name is Meehan. I think it's Meehan. It's, 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 so I've heard it, I've heard it as Meehan and Meehan. And okay. so I'm not sure, but I'll go with Meehan. Um, but if you don't know the name, you know the story. Okay. It's, it will be as, as soon as like I get into it, you'll be like, oh, I get it. Cause his name. Okay. Because his name. Because but we'll get name. into it. Okay. Go for it. All right, so John Mann, he was one of three kids, the only boy of the of parents, mother Dolores and father William Mann. He was born on February 3rd, 1959. Uh, his dad owned Diamond Wheel Conceit. I can't speak today. It's fine. I'm just too excited about this. That's why. He owned Diamond Wheel Casino in San Jose, California, and his father basically taught him how to lie and cheat and con and shit like that because what else are you gonna do when you own a casino sounds like a great dude teach your kids to be honest so yeah uh so at a young age john would like do things like jump in front of moving cars and put pieces of glass in his food from local restaurants and that's what really i included local in there because i was like not only are you shitty you're so shitty that you're gonna fuck over a, a local business yeah. A small business. But yeah, and then he would win like a ton of money from the legal settlements and that would be that. Um, while he was attending Prospect High School in Saratoga, California, he was arrested for selling cocaine. 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 And it just kept getting better from there. In 1988, he graduated from the University of Arizona somehow and then began attending the University of Dayton School of Law in Ohio. Okay. And just to clarify, you told me before we actually started recording, this is a spark-noted version of this this tale. Oh, I should have started with that. Yes, there is a lot of information on this tale. There is a... We'll get into it. You'll understand if you haven't understood already. Like, there's a lot of information, and this is a very little podcast. Yes. So... I'm doing an abridged version. There are things that I will leave out. I know I'm leaving them out. Believe me, I had to like Sophie's choice these things. Trust me. But and uh, we're here now. The reason why this is spark noted is we are going to get into the pop culture side of it, which we yeah. are then referring you to go and pursue your own interest in it. Because I know there's a lot That's of. True. Uh, there was um, the last podcast on the left did a five part series on Mormonism, and you know Ooh. what? I can listen to. Maybe a one-part series of Mormonism, but I don't know if I wanted to commit five hours to listening about Mormonism. Uh, it's not something that like I would really normally gravitate towards. So uh, we're going to do our best to try to uh, give you enough information to like whet your appetite a little bit. And if you want to do some more so deeper research. Wet. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to do more deeper research, then we're going to give you the resources to find that. But this is a spark yeah. noted version of the story, and go again. Dayton. Hell yeah. He went to law school at 
the University of Dayton School of Law in Ohio. Fun. Fun. And while he was there, he was given a nickname. You want to know what that nickname was, Haley? What was the nickname? Dirty John. Oh! Dun, dun, dun. So yeah. I actually don't know this story. I never listened to the what? podcast. Oh, neither did I. But you know who I'm talking about. I know who you're talking about. Okay. I don't know too much about the story because I've heard the like the podcast name Dirty John. I prefer podcasts <laughs> like ours that um, talk about uh, one topic per episode. So I'm not really into like the narrative types of podcasts where it's the same story over multiple multiple weeks like it's a season so that's why i never really got into the dirty john podcast because it's talking about one case now see i will say i see i've gotten more into that lately like right now i i finished uh the shrink next door right before quarantine so i guess that's not right now because it's been like eight months um and i'm in the middle of the killing of marilyn monroe okay but so I'm kind of into it, but I will say that this one is a bit easier to digest because as far as I've been able to tell, I did not listen because I tend to, when I hear things, I tend to do my research by reading instead of listening because then I'm more likely to put it into my own words, whereas I can unintentionally plagiarize something if I listen to it just because that's how my brain works. Yeah. I'm much better at full like word for word memorizing if I can hear or see. So that's why I do what I do. And that's why sometimes my shit's wrong, because I'm trying not to plagiarize. <laughs> um, but yeah, so but I so I didn't listen to it. But I believe it's only four episodes, if that makes a difference oh, really? for you or for anybody else. Yeah, it made a difference for me. And so then I was like, oh, then I'm going to listen to this. <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. <laughs> um, but yeah. So he got the nickname Dirty John because of his ability to lure women. And oh. a former classmate, Kevin Horan, told the LA Times, quote, he was basically this strange lone wolf guy that did all kinds of scandalous type things. And it wasn't just with women. That guy, you can't trust him for nothing. He's rotten top to bottom, end quote. Sounds like just a stand-up guy. And the perfect lead-in. So one of these women that he lured was Tonya Sells, who was working as a nurse when she met Mian. The two quickly fell into a whirlwind, whirlwind relationship. I can't say whirlwind. I can't fucking say it. It's not that I can't say it. I know how to say it, but I was raised in Connecticut. Gilmore Girls is a real thing. We talk way too fast. So they fell into a whirlwind relationship. Whirl. Whirl where, um, and then me and suddenly just decides, I'm going to change careers. But I don't know what I want to do. From, from lawyer? From law school student. Okay. Not even lawyer yet. Okay. So Sells agreed to support him while he figured out what the fuck he wanted to do. And ultimately, he got his anesthesiologist license shortly before they got married in 1990. That's quite a uh, departure from what he was originally going for. Also, quite a time. Well, for one thing, quite a time to find yourself. Quite an amount of time. That's two years. Yeah. But also, not so much of a departure as, as far as I saw it. Because remember, she's a nurse. Okay. So, like, medical field, medical field, that sort of thing. But, yeah, so Sells later told People Magazine of their early relationship, quote, he was charming and he seemed very interested in me, and, of course, that always feels good, end quote. Yeah, sure. Yeah, same. But after their wedding, things started to, like, not add up. So, mm -hmm. for example, Mian told her that he was one age, but it didn't match the birth date on his driver's license. Okay, 
that <laughs> that is a huge red flag if you're married see I, if you're married yes but also i was also like you know beyonce there's that whole theory that she's lying about her age too and i was like she's but she's beyonce. a celebrity that doesn't matter i'm sure jay-z knows how old she is but maybe well i mean maybe he didn't because didn't he get with her when she was underage i don't know i don't know the whole history i of believe so that's i believe a that's a thing podcast. but um i just had to fill out like a bunch of shit for like marriage licenses and stuff like that and like you have to put in like you have to put in your birth date and you have to put in like social security information and like you would have seen it at some point you both have to sign that piece of paper did he lie on his marriage license like I don't know. And I also wondered about that because let's not forget, this is like the 80s, early 90s. And we're still kind of in a zone where the man does everything. Yeah, but you both have to sign it. Like it's, Yeah, but it's that doesn't mean that, that technology Yeah, so he changed. gets her to sign it first and then he signs it and then he goes to do the thing. Like, it's not that hard. He's a con artist, Haley. I'm sure he's thought this out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it seems like so much effort to just not tell someone who, how old you are. Does that really it, matter? It seems like so much effort to do all the fucking shit he's doing, but he did it. That's true. <laughs> so she didn't know his birth or his birthday didn't match that of his license. Uh-huh. And I, they got married again after dating for two years and she never met his family. He didn't even invite them to the wedding and said that was because his parents were addicts and he didn't want them to ruin their day. I mean, if I was... If I was the partner of someone who had said that, I probably wouldn't push it either. Just oh, saying no. like, like, okay, like if you don't want to talk about your parents, if, if you have a, a rocky relationship or if no relationship, then there, yep. there goes that. Yep. But still a little, a little sketchy. A little sketchy. And then things got a bit sketchier when Sells was watching their wedding video just by herself later on, you know, for like memories and shit. Cute. And... She overheard his college friends calling him Dirty John. So then she asked her husband what they meant by that. What was the nickname for? And he just dismissed the whole thing and said, quote, they're just drunk. It means nothing. End quote. I mean, you could have made up something. He could have made up something. But also, I found it interesting. Maybe I didn't shower for my freshman year right like something something yeah um and <laughs> apparently i don't remember where i learned this if you're going to lie and you say something embarrassing they're more likely to believe you because why would you give that type of information up? that's true i could be a con artist fuck you dirty john um i'll con people into loving me because that's really what it all comes back to i just desperately need attention and affection at all times hi michael um <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah, but I also found it interesting. He his friends are calling him by his his moniker, and he's saying they're drunk. His parents know who he really is, so he doesn't invite them. And he says they're addicts. I find it interesting that he keeps playing the substance abuse card. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but regardless, they remained married for ten years. They had two daughters, and then in two thousand, me and told sells that he wanted a divorce just point blank and in some in some spots in some spots in some articles i read it allegedly he had had a child with another had gotten another woman pregnant and that's why he wanted a divorce but i could not find confirmation of that and again i don't listen to these things because then i end up saying them verbatim and i could get in a lot of trouble so in regardless he goes i want a divorce and basically you will be the single mother of our children i want no part of this 
Ew. So, yeah. So then Sells kind of panics and begins digging and uncovers the contact information of her estranged mother-in-law, Dolores. And her husband had said to her many times, like, do not contact my parents. Do not contact my parents. Like, they're terrible people. They're addicts. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Like, don't get in touch with my parents. But she's like, you know what? We're getting a divorce. Fuck it. I'm going to call his mom. Yeah. And Sells later told People Magazine that she called Dolores and said, quote, this is Tonya. I'm married to your son, John. She, his mom, she, his mom, was totally quiet. And then she said, quote, oh, Tonya, I knew you would call me one day, end quote. Oh, that's, that's so just, sketchy. Oh, it gets worse. Because this is all still from Selza's point of view. Yeah. That just led to the whole conversation that he's changed his age. He altered his name. He's been arrested before. He's been lying and cheating and messing around with other women his whole life, end quote. Sells, basically from this conversation with his mother, learned that Mian was an expert at hiding the secrets of his past and that this also included that arrest for cocaine trafficking in California. She didn't know about that either. Yeah. But the lies didn't stop there. Why would in, they? Yeah, of course. Why would they? In late 2001, they're still like kind of, they're not fully divorced yet. Um, and Sells discovers... Mian's scam of stealing narcotics from the hospital that he worked at after finding the drugs were hidden in their home. And so he was stealing the drugs. Um, I'm trying to remember. It wasn't clonopin, but it was some other kind of like narcotic narcotic. Yeah. Um, And he was like stealing them from patients. He was stealing them like from the pharmacy. Like he was it was like a full operation and he was selling them. So she, yeah, so she, like, I'm talking, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, this isn't like a, like a couple pills here and there. Like, he's got a whole thing going. Um, So she warned him that she was going to report him if he didn't stop. And it was at that point that Mian began to show his true colors. Because, again, she knew all this information from his mom, but he had not given any indication that he was who he was. Yeah. So... Sells later told Inside Edition, quote, he started threatening me. He was going to kill me, harm me, or have someone take care of it for him, end quote. So finally, sick of the abuse and of just, like, living in fear, she went to the police in early 2002. And according to the Dayton Daily News, they searched the house and found a loaded gun and 45 empty containers for six different prescription medications. That's a lot of fucking drugs. Even if they give, like, very often pharmacies will give, like, a 90-day supply. Even if they were just giving a 30-day supply. 45 empty containers. Yeah. Like, 45 empty containers. Over 1,300 pills if they were each a 30-day supply. So minimum? Minimum? So again, yeah, that's a lot of fucking pills, my friends. So, yeah, he was charged with felony drug theft, and he pleaded guilty, and then promptly fled the state and went to Michigan, where he, yep, that's what you do. You just do that. And police obviously found him, but when they did, he was passed out in a hotel surrounded by drug vials. So, according to LA Times journalist and host of the podcast, Dirty John, Christopher Gofford, quote, The ambulance was rushing him to the hospital when he unbuckled his restraints, grabbed the drug kit, and jumped into the road. 
He fled into a nearby JCPenney, scrambled atop a cargo elevator and into the shaft, and kicked a cop in the face. Jesus they finally, Christ. Oh, we're not even done. <laughs> they finally handcuffed him when he tumbled to the ground, covered in grease, and knocked himself unconscious, end quote. Wow. Yes. All right. Yes. Dude's a fucking sea monkey. Like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? That's wild. So Meehan was sentenced to up to six years in prison and was stripped of his anesthesiologist license. Yeah, no shit. Yep. And finally, Sells thought that her ex-husband's reign of terror was over, but Meehan wasn't done. In of course fact, not. he was far from it. He was released in 2004 after serving 17 months of his sentence. Released. Not a, not a, not a Ted Bundy jump out nope. the window. Nope. He was released. Because, again, he liked Ted Bundy. Very charming. And white guy. I could see him getting released. And white guy. And his name is fucking John, of course. Like, not just a white guy. Like, he's like a Steve or a Bob. Like, I mean, just dime a dozen. Um, So then, fast forward, in 2013, a rich writer from Laguna Beach, California, was in the hospital recovering after brain surgery. And by this time, Mian had also returned to California. And that is when she met him when he she woke up and there he was right in front of her bed. And he falsely introduced himself to her as her anesthesiologist. Okay. So police investigator Julia Bowman later told People Magazine, quote, she wakes up to see a man in scrubs at her bedside and he gives her his phone number and says, if you have any issues following your surgery, give me a call, end quote. Mm hmm. Bowman also said to people, quote, he has a type. He would meet as many women as possible and then find the one that is the wealthiest and then attach to that person, end quote. Mm-hmm. So Bowman said that the two soon got into a relationship. She did contact him. And at that point, Mian, quote, convinced her to wire him all of her money in two separate bank accounts that totaled almost $40 million. And he told her to do this so that she could safely hide the money away from her estranged husband. Why? Why are you trusting your anesthesiologist for this? Because they're not. He's not her anesthesiologist anymore. She, he's her boyfriend that happens to be an anesthesiologist. Ugh, this is stupid. How long? It can have you happen been on Grey's Anatomy. It can happen to her. I've been with Elliot for twelve years. If he told me to wire all my money in one place, I'd tell him to go fuck. Like, <laughs> no. See, I'm gullible, so I would do it. No. <laughs> if it was not, if it was two months in, but like Michael and I have been together for going on six years. Yeah, and if but, he told me tomorrow, like, hey, put all of your money into my account, I'd be like, okay. If any one person <laughs> tells you to put your money somewhere, please call me. <laughs> yeah, that's probably best. <laughs> I'd be like, you dumb bitch. <laughs> I should make you a conservator on my accounts. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now this we're is a heads up so for many anybody. Emails. Yeah. No, no matter who it is, don't fucking wire your money everywhere. Especially you don't know this motherfucker. But she feels like she does. It's been Whatever. so I mean, short a time, yet it feels like she's known him forever. It's your life and everything, but... <laughs> and I'm not making fun of her. I'm making fun of the trope. I'm making fun of the trope. Yeah. I mean, and like... I'm Love not at first sight is bullshit. I'm sorry. Not victim blaming. I have had family she's members... She's been manipulated. Yes. I've had family members that have been manipulated by somebody they dated. Yeah. Lost a lot. Not and, even somebody uh, they dated. My grandma got fucked over by Madoff. Yeah. Like, I, Madoff made off. <laughs> yeah. It, it's fucked up, but like... After hearing all of these stories, it just makes me so much more wary about stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. 
Like, it's it's our whole generation. We're a generation of people that have gotten spam emails since we were, like, children. So, like, yes. fuck that. Yes, we've been meeting African princes since we were, like, five. Elisa just got an email that said congrat on it. And I'm like, no, really? it wasn't even it wasn't even congrat. It was congrat. And then it was like, you have been accepted. And it was for like a gift card to Costco. And I was and like, yeah, oh, and, and congratulations, was, you've been accepted. And receive was spelled wrong. Yeah, it's yeah. bad. It's just bad. These people, they got to they got it. Suck, it sucks when it's from someone you think, you know. Yeah. No, I, I have a I have a uh, well, we're not really it's not that we're not friends anymore. We just don't see each other anymore. But um. She was dating Michael's roommate at the time, and her relative, I don't remember who, got a phone call saying it was their, like, son or their grandson or something, and that this person had them hostage, and they knew the kid's name, they knew his, yeah. like, address, his phone number, all of I know number, somebody that got scammed it. by that, too. Yeah, and the whole scam, for those who don't know and who want to, like, protect themselves, so they call and they say to you, like, I have this person, they have somebody that sounds like your relative yelling in the background and saying, like, please give him what he wants, they're going to hurt me, blah, 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 and so then they say, like, they will kill them, they will harm them, they will do whatever if you don't send them, like, X amount of dollars, and it sounds so real, and they've, like, tapped into like at times like i think that's what happened with this one at least they like tapped into the actual person's phone so like it wasn't it it was it looked so real on yeah. paper this and wasn't you know like what? a stupid person not that you're stupid if you fall for this but like it wasn't like a case of like oh i feel so stupid after the yeah. fact like it, they did everything it was like an oscar winning production of a scam yeah. and you know how like when you were a little kid and uh you had the stranger danger assembly and uh you were jj bittenbinder jj bittenbinder you're supposed to make like a, a code word with your 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 parents and like have like a a whole yeah. thing set up with your family we didn't everyone, have a code we had a phrase yeah exactly it was everyone, caitlin you're a disappointment <laughs> everyone pause the podcast right now and call your grandparents because you got to make like a codes. Like if somebody's calling you and telling you that like I'm uh that's a good idea. I'm like my... in their custody or like I'm in trouble or something. Here's the code word for this. Yeah. This is the only way that you will give up your money cuz like poor grandparents are getting swindled out of fucked like over. thousands of dollars. It's fucked up. Hundreds of thousands in the case of my grandmother. Yeah, that's so fucked up. Like she lost her entire life savings, which was a fuck lot of money. Yeah. But yeah, so now that we're off that tangent, <laughs> it's just watch your money, watch your money. But don't give um, it this to is somebody. a financial don't podcast. Wire, and this is millions of dollars. It's not like a, like forty a couple million thousand. dollars. It's not like a couple thousand or something. Don't wire it to somebody you've only just met. Like yeah, mm. yeah. Um, but yeah. So he said this to her, and before he could even get a hold of the money, she then started to be like, hmm, is this a red flag? And kind of had questions and concerns and just basically brought it up with a friend of hers and was like, does this sound right to you? And so... Yeah, to talk about it with people before you actually do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that friend then Googled me in and found, quote, all these women who were trying to warn other women that he had extorted them and stalked them, end quote. So at that point, she puts a stop payment or whatever it is on yeah. the, the transfer. They contact the police and the police confront me in and he says, uh, so according to Bowman, 
He was, quote, able to dismiss every allegation. This was just a bad breakup or she's jealous of me and quote, whatever it was. You can get you can get away with that, I think, one time. But if there's like four, five, six women saying the exact same thing. How? How is that? Well, for one thing, because he kept using different names that was hinted at early in the thing. I know that's 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 a red flag in itself. Yeah, but like. I mean, these are the police. He is a white man. Are they going to do a lot of digging? Like, they're not going to go through his car looking for weed. He's too white for that. I guess. So, he had already spent at this point $30,000 of the money he was expecting. And when he learned the transfer had been canceled, he just flew into a fucking rage. So he alienated his victim from her family and also sent them naked photos of her and just hit her with just a fucking barrage of threats and demands and stalked her and was just really fucking horrific. Yeah. So when the police finally intervened to arrest him, Mian was found driving a car he had extorted from another woman. And living in a dilapidated RV that he had conned from a third woman. And investigators searched the RV and found a backpack containing a revolver, ammunition, binoculars, duct tape, zip ties, a GPS, and cyanide capsules hidden in the freezer. Can you be any more obvious, you stupid, stupid idiot? In the freezer. And, like, he obviously is talented at at something about i mean at conning people yeah. why don't you channel that energy into something that you can like get your own shit yeah why mm-hmm. why you have to i don't know yep. i don't get it no i know i'm with you but yeah so bowman later described it to people magazine as quote pretty much a killing kidnapping kit and yeah. quote and said Quote, he seemed like he was someone who was very experienced in doing what he was doing. He just seemed, it just seemed so calculated and polished. A lot of times women think they've put themselves in this position or that it's their own fault that they've gotten into this relationship and it got messy or that the person will eventually leave them alone. And that's not the case. The problem with stalking, the thing that makes it so volatile is that you don't know how a stalker is going to respond, end quote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... The authorities immediately arrested Mian, and he went on to plead guilty to stalking, burglary, and felony possession of a handgun in February 2014. And the story is still not even done yet. We are still going. So in October 2014, Mian found Deborah Newell, a super successful and therefore very, very rich interior designer who just wanted to find love after four failed marriages And he found her on an over 50 dating website. And after he connected with her and asked her out, Newell later told police, later told people, decidedly not the police, Mm -hmm. uh, that she, quote, couldn't wait to spend my evening with him, end quote. And, quote, he'd tell me how beautiful I was, ask me about my day and rub my back. I was infatuated with him, end quote. Mm -hmm. But you know who wasn't infatuated with him? What? Her kids. Good. That's who. So one of her daughters, Jacqueline, later told, like, the the podcast, the Dirty John podcast, quote, I told my mom she'd better get this creep out of the house or I don't plan on living with her, end quote. Wow. Okay. 
Jacqueline, so we'll talk about two of her kids, Jacqueline and Tara. And Jacqueline is super fucking vocal about how she doesn't like him. Tara feels the same, but she is not as vocal. Uh Um, But that's okay because she's wonderful as well. We'll get into it. So the kids were especially suspicious of Mian's story that he was an anesthesiologist, okay, who had just returned to Southern California, okay, after spending a year volunteering in Iraq, okay, Mm -hmm. with Doctors Without Borders. Okay. Okay. Sure. Sure, Jan. But to Newell, he was the perfect man, telling Fox 5, quote, He tended to have everything on my checklist that I was looking for. I liked that he was a doctor, that he had been successful helping people. And then he went and he and then when he said he had been to Iraq, Doctors Without Borders, that impressed me also, end quote. Mm -hmm. Her kids are meanwhile like, have you not heard Doctors Without Borders used like every movie script, soap opera, TV show? Like there are other charities, you know, that provide medical care. But Doctors Without Borders is the one that everybody uses. Uh Uh-huh. But yeah. So Tara, Newell's daughter, told Inside Edition that her her sister and she wondered, quote, why is he saying he is an anesthesiologist, but he is just playing video games all day? End quote. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, they're they're fucking brilliant. But their skepticism turned into concern when Mian would dodge questions about his past, only drive her mother, their mother's cars, and finally tried to cut Newell off from her kids, just as he had done to his last victim. Yeah. Again, they don't know this, but we know this. We know this. So as Gofford wrote in the LA Times, quote, he didn't even want her seeing her kids, particularly Jacqueline, who had been so vocal in her contempt for him. One day he caught Deborah sneaking away to see her and said he'd throw Jacqueline in the ocean if it ever happened again, end quote. Jesus. Yep. So by November 14th, uh, 2014, um, the kids saw another red flag when the couple moved in together into a house on Balboa Island in Newport Beach, California. The house was in Deborah's name because John didn't want his name on the lease. Okay. Ding, ding, and ding, also, yeah. And well, and also they didn't find out that they had moved in together right away. Mm. Like it, it was a thing according to, um, Gafford, so the day before Thanksgiving, Gofford, excuse me, the day before Thanksgiving, Tara found out that they were living together and went to confront her mom. And he said, quote, here came John, instantly transformed by rage. Why was Tara snooping through his stuff? Why was she trying to steal Deborah from him? Did she realize kids sh- that kids should be smacked for this? <laughs> Tara screamed at her mother, how could you let this guy talk to me like this? Tara left badly shaken with the sickening feeling that her mother was choosing John over her, end quote. Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah. And even after such a frightening conversation, conver- confrontation, conversation, both work, um, that wasn't enough for Newell to break it off. In December 2014, <laughs> after just two months of dating, Mian convinced Newell to marry him at a Las Vegas courthouse while she was on a work trip with no family or friends in attendance. Okay. True romance. Like, literally, he was like, let's not invite anybody. Like, he played into the whole thing. And I know this because I have a, we've talked about this. I've got a former friend who also played into this whole thing of, like, nobody wants to see us together. And it's the notebook and whatever. And Nicholas Sparks and Sunshine and Roses. Yeah, it's not romantic. When nobody in your life wants to see you with this person, that's a red flag. 
If it's yeah. like one or two, yeah, they're fucking haters. But when every single person in your life is going, hey, this is bad news. Like, stay away from this dude. Yeah, that's like you, when you need to like worry. If you don't have a good relationship with your your family and you can't rely on them to like give you like the truth about yeah. somebody that you're interested in, have some good friends that know this exactly. person. Exactly. Like, you can choose your family. We say it all the time. You can choose your family. Trust your chosen family, whether they're biologically related or not. Yeah, you got to do something to to ground yourself. Yes. Yeah. But after they got married. Means romantic, sweet, considerate, new husband facade did a complete 180. Just of course, completely. Yeah. Once Mian told Newell that he wished her daughter Tara was dead. And at that point, she knew she had to get out of the relationship and told Inside Edition later on, quote, I finally left him when there were too many threats and I was starting to see the real John. This man was nothing that I thought I had married. End quote. So like Cells and Mian's other victims, Newell's kids and her nephew Shad, who's um, her sister's nephew, or her sister's son, mm-hmm. um, late sister's son, her sister died, we'll get into that in a minute, um, decided to do some digging and hired a private investigator. And what they learned didn't really surprise them at all. Um, but when they came to Newell with the information, she didn't seem very concerned. And I take that back. They didn't hire the private investigator because privately after she gets off the phone with Shad and all these other people, Newell herself kind of has a sinking feeling that her husband is not the man he said he was and mm-hmm. begins and begins to do some digging herself. And part of that also involves hiring a private investigator. Yeah. Not only did her findings not ma- uh, match up with who he said he was, um, it was pretty much exactly what her family found. And she made even more discoveries. Not mm. only had Mian never attended medical school, but he also had served time in both California and Michigan for felonies such as stealing narcotics from hospitals where he worked as a nurse and or as an anesthesiologist and conning and terrorizing multiple lonely women looking for love, many of whom he'd met online. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, that one woman that we had um, mentioned earlier that did just, you know, a quick Google yeah. I would say anybody do that before you marry someone. Yeah. Uh, even if you think you know them, maybe just talk. Before like, you date them. Just to, like for fun. Just throw their yeah. name into Google. See if see if anything alarming pops up. My poor, all of my friends, like you've never had to experience this because I've known you at, like half the time that you and Elliot have been together. Today's actually our friend anniversary, guys. It is. Um, but... Regardless, and it's not today that we're that this is coming out. It's today that we're recording this, so it doesn't yeah. even matter. Um, but all of my girlfriends, when they start seeing somebody, I do the Google because I'm like, I can do better than you guys can, and I have found some interesting shit. Like I, I did find somebody who he was a bit of a con artist, and Ooh. my girlfriend went to go see him despite the fact that they had only been talking for like a month, and uh-huh. he turned out to be very shady and she was basically abandoned in a state that she did not have any familiarity with not great and couldn't get back home until it was time to leave for her flight and it was a whole thing but like this shit happens do the google yeah. or i'll do it for you literally just i just need a name at this point like that's literally it i just need a name yeah name and location i can find out no. a lot of information i don't even need a location Haley. i shit you not 
I don't even need a location at this point. Like, it's like, I'm crazy. Oh, I know. Ask, ask. I know you know. <laughs> my One of my friends, like, was kind of seeing a guy a couple of months ago, and I went off the first name, and I found him. <laughs> Perfect. And she was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm like, I do it because I care. Um, then because I'm crazy. But yeah. So it also turned out that just two days before his first date with Newell, Mian had been released in, from prison after serving his sentence for pursuing and extorting that woman in 2013. Two days before. Newell also discovered that he had earned a nickname while at law school. Dirty John. Uh-huh. According to Gofford, quote, by the time they married in December 2014, three separate women around Southern California had standing restraining orders against him. In recent years, at least three others had requested them, end quote. Mm-hmm. So by, let's call it by the end of their relationship, six women were like, stay the fuck away from me. Yeah. And so at that point, Newell began to fear for her and her children's lives, particularly Tara's, because Mian had already basically threatened her once before. And Newell later told People magazine, quote, I was in shock and I was scared and angry, end quote. Tara was understandably concerned as well, telling Inside Edition, quote, I had knives taped around the house and in places where he wouldn't find them, end quote. Jesus. Yeah. Newell, meanwhile, although... She was encouraged to get a gun for her own protection and to defend herself. She was vehemently opposed to firearms because Shad's mother, her sister Cindy, was actually murdered by her husband Billy in 1984. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So still, despite her fears, Newell soldiered on and filed for an annulment. Mian tearfully begged her for a chance to prove his innocence, which prompted a short reconciliation between the two. No. Um, yep. I know. That's literally what I said when I was researching this. I was like, God, you're so close. Yeah, right. Um, she explained on the Dirty John podcast, though, quote, he always had a story. He told me that he had lied because he thought he'd lose me, that he feels so lucky that I'm such a forgiving person. I'm the love of his life, that I've made him a better person, end quote. Uh. The pair moved into a new apartment in Irvine, California, but then Newell ended the relationship for good in March 2016 and went into hiding. And that is when Mian's behavior turned violent. Mm. First of all, he immediately filed for divorce and demanded half of Newell's income and ownership of her business. Um, as with his previous victims, he sent nudes to her family. Uh, she, or her nudes, not just any like dick pics or something off Google, like her nudes. Yeah. Um, just... Straight up emailed him. Uh, she requested an ex- a restraining order against him, but an Orange County judge denied it, saying there was no imminent threat because John had moved to Nevada and had never physically harmed her. That's pretty fucked up. Yep, it is. Fun fact, abuse isn't just physical. Don't know if you knew that, but it's not just physical. Physical, it can be verbal, it can be emotional, yeah. it can be psychological, it can be financial. It can be yeah. a lot of fucking things. But yeah, so Newell told people, quote, I lived in constant fear, end quote. That's so sad. And even when she stopped answering his messages and just blocked him on everything and whatnot, Mian still managed to track her down, stole her car and lit it on fire. uh, And he began stalking her just as he had done with his previous victims. Yeah. But it all came to a head. On August 20th, 2016, when Mian, 
And authorities have different theories for why he did this. It could have been out of desperation, revenge, an attempt to punish Newell, or as my own theory, because he was simply fucking unhinged. Uh Uh-huh. He decided to end it once and for all. And Jacqueline, Newell's daughter, had called her sister Tara to warn her that Mian was back and that she had seen him waiting outside her, as in Jacqueline's, apartment in Irvine the night before, Mm -hmm. like outside the apartment building. So that evening, Tara returned home and parked her car in the lot outside her Newport Beach apartment. And as she got out of the car, John came at her from behind and attacked her with a knife. Tara later told Dateline, quote, he was trying to push me into the car. I tried to get away from him. I was screaming and he put his hand over my mouth and I bit as hard as I could, end quote. Yeah, do it. Yep. Well, that's the thing. Like the badass bitch she is, Tara fought back despite the fact that she had been, you know, fucking stabbed. Yeah. Um, So here's where I throw in a quick fun fact. According to the articles that Gofford wrote about the case, um, which the articles and all of his research and everything is what he based his show on. Uh-huh. Um, Tara and her boyfriend were like Walking Dead super fans. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, Gofford wrote, quote, in The Walking Dead, Tara absorbed the first axiom of combat with zombies. They will keep trying to kill you until you destroy the head by blade or screwdriver, machete or gun. That's true. She regarded the show as a fount of survival tricks. When a favorite character extricated himself from a bad spot by biting into an attacker's jugular, she thought, my teeth are a weapon. More than techniques, she said, she took a certain mindset from the show. Kill or be killed, end quote. Yeah. So basically, all that binge watching worked in her favor and her self-defense skills went into overdrive and all the stuff that she learned from The Walking Dead, she used. That's incredible. She was wearing these like heavy rain boots and was able to use them to kick the knife out of Mian's hand. Uh-huh. She grabs the weapon and she stabs him 13 times in the <gasps> chest and the forehead and once in the eye. Oh, oh my God. She yes, went for the bitch. head. Yes, She went bitch. for the head, as you should. Incredible. Uh, she later told Fox 5, quote, I just started stabbing him. I started yeah. to push him off me. And then I got him right there in the sh- right here, shoulder. And I also got the last one in his eye. And the last one, I kind of did give a second thought. I was like, I don't want him to get back up. I don't want him to try to hurt me again. If he gets back up, he's going to kill me. Yeah, quote. yeah. So yeah, oh, so Jesus. she stabs the fuck out of him, zombie style. 911 is called. And while she's waiting, a neighbor is wrapping her wound in a beach towel. And she's calling her mother saying, quote, I'm really, really sorry. I think I killed your husband, end quote. Like I'm she's in shock. Yeah, but also she's well, she's clearly in shock, but also yeah, yeah like clearly. she's still thinking like, um, mom, I think I killed yeah. your husband. <laughs> yeah. But she hadn't killed her husband of because the not. paramedics administered CPR and they were able to get a pulse and revive Mian. He was, however, hospitalized as a result of his injuries, and four days later, on August 24th, 2016, he passed away at the age of 57. Uh, he had been declared brain dead, and his sister Karen made the decision to take him off life, off life support. Uh huh. But also, how fucking beautifully ironic is that that he gets killed by a woman after he's terrorized women for so long? Yeah. Like, oh, I love it. All you have to do is not be a piece of shit, dude. Seriously, it's not hard. I promise you. 
Like, I mean, sometimes it's a little difficult, I will say. Like, sometimes I have to, like, make a solid decision within myself to be like, be nice. Yeah. But I do it. I'm, I'm still, I, I'm still you here. Have, you have the power within yourself to be able to be nice. He is such a broken yeah, and it's what he husk learned. of a person. Yeah, it's all he knows. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so his body was cremated and no memorial service was held and fuck him. But, yeah, so for those who are still with us, <laughs> um, getting into the pop culture side of things. So, if you don't know, Dirty John, obviously, Christopher Gofford wrote the podcast. Um, he's a Pulitzer Prize nominated journalist for the LA Times. And the podcast was produced in conjunction with the LA Times. Uh-huh. Uh, so Gofford first learned about Mian when he heard the authorities were investigating a possible murder in Newport Beach, California. And so from that moment, he was in. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And like, and writing about it, covering the whole case. Yeah. So he dug deeper and discovered like beyond like just the case and discovered this whole bizarre web of like lies and abuse. And from that, the podcast was born. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just like the the articles were more about the crime and he was like, oh, he's been doing a lot more before this. And yeah. that's yeah. So Dirty John primarily focuses on man's relationship with Newell, but it also touches on themes of manipulation and abuse and exactly how that affects victims. Uh huh. And the podcast spent over three weeks at the top of the Apple podcast charts in the United States. And it also topped the charts in Australia, Canada and the UK. And within three weeks, it was downloaded over five million times. Yeah, for a second there, it was everywhere. Everywhere, like I Could had not friends get away from it. who did not listen to true crime that were like, "Hey, have you ever heard of this true crime podcast, Dirty John?" And I'm like, "Not since somebody told me about it five minutes ago." Now, yeah, it yeah, especially being in the true crime podcasting sphere, uh, you get a lot of people asking if you've listened to it. Just yep, like that's cereal. also why I waited to cover this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cereal. Yeah, Adnan Syed's not getting covered for at least another year of that. Yeah, that's going to be a little bit. Yep. But when the story was covered by Dateline NBC on January 12th, 2018, Gofford was actually interviewed as an expert on the case. Really? Like, and you, right. Yeah, and like, you know, like, they, they'll, for experts, they'll interview, like, investigators and, like, police that were first on the scene and shit like that like no he did such impeccable research that he's he's also considered to be an expert on this case he's a regular old billy jensen we love you billy um so the podcast also inspired a docuseries on me and his crimes titled dirty john the dirty truth which came out last year uh-huh. It has a 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb and an 80% Google score and couldn't seem to find it on Rotten Tomatoes, but that might also be because it's new. Yeah. Um, and the series, which was directed by Sarah Mast, initially aired on Oxygen last January, as far as I can tell, but mm-hmm. you can rent it on Prime now, I believe. Okay. Um, nowhere free that I can tell. Sorry, my friends. But that's not all. Do you know what else there is? No, tell me about it. The success of the show prompted Bravo to create the anthology series Dirty John. I'm sure you haven't heard of it. I've heard of it, but I haven't. I know. It. I know. I'm being sarcastic because everybody's fucking heard of it. Yeah. Because then that was the second wind of, have you ever heard about this thing, Dirty John? I'm yeah, like, yes. exactly. <laughs> um, 
So the first season, which came out in 2018, is based on the case and stars Eric Bana as Mian and Connie Britton as Newell. Um, Juno Temple also plays Jacqueline. Okay. Um, it has a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb, an 88% Google score, and an 88% tomato meter rating, and 76% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So, wow. yeah, pretty, pretty like, even across the board. Yeah. Well-received. Uh, Connie Britton was also nominated for an Emmy for Best Performance by an Actress in a Limited Series or Movie Made for Television for her role mm-hmm. as um, Deborah Newell. And you can watch the series on Netflix for free. Well, not okay. free because you still pay for the Netflix thing. But, but if you have Netflix, it's free. It's free. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can get like a, a Netflix trial if you're like yeah. really jonesing to watch it. Or you can get like a really good friend. You can use your Dirty John skills to manipulate a friend into giving you their Netflix password. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, again, so much more to this case. Like we barely touched on Deborah Newell's sister's murder and like that was kind of a key thing with it too because like her sister was murdered by a manipulative asshole and that kind of sealed her like i will not find myself in this situation sort of yeah and it can happen to anybody it really can yeah these guys are experts at manipulation for a reason yep but yeah so that is the story if you want to learn more um one of the sources that was super informative for me was this article by Harper's Bazaar. Oh, um, okay. So if you literally just like Google like Dirty John Harper's Bazaar, but also all of the LA Times articles Gofford wrote are up on on like you can Google them. They're they're up on the internet. Um, and then the podcast, it's been, like I said, I've quoted from Inside Edition and Dateline and like it's just it's been all over the place like, and the podcast i'm pretty sure you can get on any streaming service you, it's not like exclusive I to one can't imagine so it was it was created with wondry um but we're not gonna talk about them because of the whole oh, thing yeah, yeah that whole thing about that yeah um but there's still there's wondry podcast i i use spotify yeah. but there's wondry podcast on spotify so i i have to imagine it's on spotify itunes um all those places yeah it's literally like if you can't find it then just come to us and we'll find it for you like it's 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 everywhere and it like oh and i actually just looked and now there's a podcast for the second season of dirty john which just came out relatively recently because that's when i got another hit of friend going have you heard about betty broderick and i'm like i think i have yeah and maybe you guys will too. <gasps> a little spoiler. Right oh, there? I would never. No. All right. Well, that's not to, me. You'll have to wait and see if that's a spoiler for something. But mm-hmm. we'll uh, see. Yeah. Um. Obviously, all of those uh those links I will um, post as much as I can on the website. That's crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. And yeah. while you're there. You can check out the links to all our social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Twitter. Not not LinkedIn. No, we're not on LinkedIn. Don't do that. Can you put a business on LinkedIn or does it have to be a person? I don't really use LinkedIn. I don't know. I I mean, I use it to apply for jobs. Like, you can put a business on there. Like, yeah. You can have like a, it's like with Facebook. You can have like a business page. We're not on there. So let's stop talking about it. We're on Patreon. Let's not confuse everyone. Join the Patreon and mm. um, 
I think that's it for this week. Sure. Right? I'm good with I'm good with ending it here. Like yeah. I don't have anything else that I desperately need to be said. I've okay, spoken. Cool. I can hold my peace. Well, in that case, we will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. I can hold it longer than you. Eat. Ha, 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 ha.